came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. We have one great show for you today. We have Congressman Peter King, controller Tom DiNapoli. He is scared, scared that our budget might be way off in New York, but let's wait and see. Uh, Zach Williams reporting from Albany. Larry Kudlow on the economy. And you got tears in your eyes when you listen to Elizabeth Gomes, and she talks about the day she got beat up in a train station and there was no Marine there to help her. Let's start with our friend uh, in the real estate business, Michael Stoller. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning, I'm very fortunate to have one of the leaders around the nation in the insurance brokerage business and the consulting business. I have David Sterling, the CEO of Sterling Risk, who have offices in New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Indiana, Florida, and Los Angeles, plus other little locations that will serve you anywhere around. Insurance is really overtaking the profitability for landlords today. The premiums are outrageous. You have to go out of the way a year in advance to just follow up. So I want David to provide his insight on the insurance business. Well, thank you for having me, Michael. Okay, so where, where do you see the world, okay? You know, expenses are going up. Taxes are going up. Operating expenses are going up. And one of the biggest expenses that's going up is insurance. Yeah, so Michael, you, you may know that I'm married to a real estate developer, so uh, what I'm about to tell you impacts uh, me personally as well as within the insurance industry. Uh, this is a perfect storm for real estate owners. They're, they have uh, in commercial space like office, they have declining rents, um, and their insurance premiums are going up dramatically, and this is a function of the, the capital markets around the insurance industry. Uh, specifically, what do you mean by the capital markets about the insurance industry? So all, all uh, products and services are priced on a supply and demand model. The supply of insurance is the amount of capital in the insurance industry. And you can measure that by taking a look at the assets less liabilities for each insurance company. That net worth is the capital they have in their businesses. Um, that's the supply. The supply is shrinking. Because over the last 10 years, there have been very unexpected increases in claim costs from the climate change of uh, wildfires and catastrophic storms uh, to the um, increase in liability claims for what the insurance industry has termed social inflation. Social inflation meaning that the people generally who are on these juries are feeling more empowered uh, and uh, very similar to the social turmoil we have in our society. And uh, the, the cost of claims seems to be doubling almost every five years in terms of slip and fall claims and liability claims that impact real estate. Now, you were talking to me the other day about 
the, the claims because of the age buildings that we have. Let's go over that. On, that's on the property side. On the, on the property side, aside from the wildfires and the horrific storms, uh, in, in cities like New York, we have an aging infrastructure. And so the insurance companies have, have been clobbered with claims uh, of water damage. And these water damage claims come from pipes that break in a building, not necessarily from a freeze-up, but just because they're old and they're crumbling. And so uh, the insurance companies have put uh, limitations on the amount of water damage insurance you can get in New York City office buildings if they're older. Uh, but, and, and just as importantly, in order to pay for these claims, they've been raising the rates. Now, how much have rates gone up over the last couple of years? So in the last couple of years in the real estate space, the rates have more than doubled uh, on average. Uh, And it's been a continuous increase over that time. And another factor uh, impacting cities like New York is the explosion of the use of e-bikes and e-scooters. And And lithium uh, batteries. These lithium-ion batteries. And many times uh, the people who own these things uh, unknowingly are buying the less expensive batteries that are more prone to fires when they're charging. Uh, And there are charge stations in many buildings around the city. And this increase is... um, uh, this increase is really having an impact. When we were, <clears throat> when we were talking the other day, you also mentioned to me that uh, you know when you get your insurance premium, you should pay it, and in addition, you should start going it for the next year. What do you mean by that? So yeah, we, we used to say that you should start looking at uh, the factors that impact your insurance renewal sometime around three months before you renew. Uh, I'm telling my clients who have problematic schedules, that means schedules of, ins- of, pol- of locations maybe in, uh, exposed to hurricane or to earthquake or to wildfires or in cities like New York, that we want to start looking at it 12 months. As soon as you renew, let's take a look at what we can do to improve the risk factors to get you a better deal when you renew next time. Because sometimes those, those steps can take a long time. With regard to uh, the markets, which are the markets that's the most difficult to get insurance today? Wow. Okay. So uh, right now, if you wanted to get uh, wind insurance, Florida and uh, the Gulf Coasts into Texas area, all those areas that are impacted by the Gulf and by the Atlantic down south are really, really difficult to get insurance, whether it's home insurance or or, uh, office insurance or shopping center insurance. Those rates have gone up very, very dramatically. I would also point out if you have some sort of a exposure in a wildfire area in California, it may even be worse than Florida for wind. Uh, and for homes, there are people who are finding that there aren't any insurers who are even willing to insure their homes in these wildfire areas. And um, for, uh, for, for resorts uh, that have, have very similar issues in these areas. So wherever you... And, <laughs> In the middle of the country, you find that where there are hailstorms or tornadoes, we also have a great deal of difficulty getting reasonably priced insurance. Okay. <clears throat> with what's going on with these shootings at these malls, is it having an effect on the premiums around the country? It's having two impacts. One impact is many of the insurers are excluding assault and battery so that if there's a shooting in or about your real estate and you get sued for not having the proper security – uh, then um, you you wouldn't have insurance with such an exclusion. Uh, there are insurers who have stepped forward to sell assault and battery insurance as a standalone, but it's expensive. Uh, and uh, 
if you do get it included, you may pay more with an insurer who is willing to write it. Um, believe it or not, the insurance companies have something called a crime score, which is provided to them by national, uh, you know, national outfits that, that measure this stuff. And if your address has a high crime, a crime score and they, they break it down by murder, assault, rape, robbery, and on and on, uh, depending upon the type of insurance you're getting, if you have a, a high score for that, then you, you're going to have a great deal of difficulty getting insurance. What do you see taking place by the end of the year? Any better or worse? I mean, it sounds that it's a rather difficult time in the insurance business for a consumer or a company or in general. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible time for insurance. Uh, and uh, I don't see it getting much better anytime soon for the real estate industry. Okay. David, I would like to thank David Sterling of Sterling Risk, the CEO, for being here today. Thank you, Mike. It's been my pleasure. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. With us today is uh, Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. And he says to me that he's got some good renovation, innovations, whatever you want to call it. And uh, Dr. Cates, uh, Dr. Sky, what the heck is going on? Well, good morning, John, to you and the listeners once again as we take this journey to expand people's minds. But Mars has been a very interesting topic in the last couple of weeks, and I just wanted to give a summary. And here we go of the Mars rovers that are actually doing something on the surface of the Mars. We first turned to China. Their Zhurong spacecraft, which is this tiny little rover, has helped us to identify and where it landed that there's probably been, over the course of billions of years, flowing water on the surface of Mars. It actually found what's called sedimentary rock in this area of Mars called Utopia Planitia. It's an actually flat plain area. So this little tiny little rover actually dug in and found some sedimentary rock, which all go along with the fact that, well, water probably flowed on Mars a long, long time ago. But, John, the rover's in actual trouble, too, after it made this uh, observation, so to, call, so, so, so to speak. It's run by solar power, and Martian dust storms layer that thing, those solar panels, with a lot of Martian dust. So they don't have a way to recharge it, but on there... It has these little, the ability to flip around those little solar panels to try to, you know, get rid of the dust. So there's something going on with it. But I thought that's an interesting uh, observation, maybe really well, a detection of water. Th- there's no doubt there was water on Mars at one time. And, and it, it looks like water, like we spoke last week, is a universal uh, yeah. uh, item. Uh, and the question is, what happened to that water? Did, did it evaporate, just go away? Is it underground? And I guess nobody really knows. And, and uh, the mystery of those two um, uh, uh, moons, uh, you know, some people were saying, well, maybe they're artificial moons. Yes. There's so many mysteries that we don't know the answers to yet. Well, we're digging in deeper, but let's talk a little bit about where we think the water on Mars went, John. This is probable, according to the astronomers, maybe one of the greatest theories. A long time ago, a large asteroid slammed into Mars, and one of the deepest depressions on Mars, if you look at a Mars map, 
It's an area called Hellas, and it's an area that's a rather deep depression, not like a giant crater. But one of the leading theories is that this asteroid slammed into the planet, just vaporized all the water on the surface, and literally knocked the planet silly and literally knocked its magnetic field off. So that's another theory. But going back to these moons of Mars, here's another late revelation. Chinese astronomers and scientists are now saying that the smaller moon of Mars, this little one called Deimos, may not necessarily be a captured asteroid. It goes back to what I just said, that it's probable that when this asteroid hit billions, millions of years ago, that it probably blew out a giant chunk, which is about a nine-mile-in-diameter object, that we call the little moon Deimos. That's a pretty interesting theory, don't you think? It's very interesting. I guess it's one of the possibilities. I mean, uh, uh, what other possibilities are there? I mean, there's new information about uh, new revelations about the Saturn, uh, uh, the uh, rings around it. Absolutely. And we find out on another subject, John, that Saturn now has the most moons in the solar system. The big number now is 145. So all these great mysteries that we talk about here in the solar system all go around this concept of asteroids, people that study the surface of these planets and objects, where'd water go on the surface. But we also want to remind our listeners out there that the Perseverance rover has been actually operating on Mars about 822 Earth days, and it too is giving us some amazing uh, information. It's literally dropping these little test tube-like samples of rock on the surface of Mars, all in anticipation of one day having one of these spacecraft soft land on Mars, send out a little machine to capture these and bring them back to the Earth, so we hopefully can understand what the next planet is that mankind, for sure, ask Elon Musk, and he'll tell you that's where he's planning on sending people, maybe even himself. But, John, the mysteries continue. Because one other quick one is we find out now that we're trying to resolve and get a better understanding of what our Milky Way galaxy shape looks like. And we thought that it had this big spiral like a child's pinwheel, you know, so many arms. But now recent information comes to us that say our galaxy may only have two major big spiral arms, making the galaxy a little more simple to understand. But by gosh, it's so impossible to tell everybody out there how they detect the shape of a giant object that's about 150,000 light years in diameter. That's just mind-boggling, to say the least. It is. It is. Uh, any anything new on uh, any of them on the moon or the other planets, uh, Mercury or Venus? Well, I go back to the live sky because nothing that I can report categorically this morning that's of you know breaking news per se. But we always remind people to go out and what look at the nighttime sky. So here, as you have a new week coming up. The moon is new, or I should say was new, on the 19th. So if you look into the western sky on the evening of the 23rd, John, you'll get this amazing view of a crescent moon right next to the beautiful planet Venus, the goddess of love and beauty. This is, of course, an amazing sight. So people out there with not only binoculars, their smartphone, as we always talk about, enjoying and expanding our minds and taking our minds and, you know, and, and our spirits and moving out into the universe to kind of give us that relaxing pause that I'm sure you would agree we need from the uh, very turbulent state of the world as we know it. Interesting. That's why we continue to update you and the listeners on all these mind-expanding, totally amazing subjects. Well, Steve Tate, thank you for expanding our mind. And uh, 
Uh, we hope that we find out the whole truth uh, someday. And God bless you and God bless America. Thank you, John. Good to be with you and the listeners. Have a great Sunday. Thank you. Looking for a little common sense? You've found it. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. It's the song of the cause on the furious flights. But there's even romance in the way that they dance to the beat of the night. I understand that congestion pricing, we're going to make a billion dollars, but the MTA is saying that almost 700, 800 million in tolls, not tolls, in, in, in fares, fare evaders, fare right? evaders yep. are not paying. So is are we going to go into congestion pricing to pay for the fare evaders? That doesn't seem right. Let's go to Zach Williams, New York Post reporter. Zach, I mean, that doesn't seem right. When you sit there and listen, you go, why should we be paying for fare evaders? <laughs> well, the wheels are well in motion now for congestion pricing following the federal approval just days ago, which had been, you know, a real roadblock to get this uh, congestion pricing plan in place uh, after it got approved, you know, now uh, nearly three years ago. So, you know, it looks like it's going to be moving forward. And uh, after years and years of arguments, public forums and everything else, you know, Governor Kathy Hochul said, you know, uh, congestion pricing is going to happen. Well, uh, I, I always applaud Tony Carbonetti. I, I always applaud state government when they look at other places that have been so successful. What's the name of that city that loves congestion pricing, John? I can't remember London, the name of it. London. London. Yeah, London. No, but they don't like it. No, they don't. And we had Nicole okay. Jelinas who was That's there. That's my point. She said it stinks there. It Why don't you work. want to have it here? We adopted it here <laughs> because and, and, it did so well in London. And yeah. in California, they're going to have uh, reparations. So I said, well, every California does, uh, our city council looks at it and says, let's pay double. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, John, speaking of double, this news just coming out. Eric Adams just said a little bit ago uh, that the migrants that are coming to New York City originally had a price tag basically on New York of basically $2 billion. Now he's saying it could cost the city $4 billion. How many migrants are we talking about? Well, right now there's 65,000, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. 20 new buses, John was just saying, just came into the Roosevelt Hotel. Breaking, breaking news. Breaking 20, news. 20 buses came into the hotel. What was it? The Roosevelt, the Roosevelt Hotel the in Roosevelt Midtown. The Roosevelt Hotel, right next to the beautiful. Three and a half billion dollar J.P. Morgan building. And it is going to cost us the first time I've seen this number from Eric Adams just saying it a little bit ago that the price tag basically for New York City alone could cost over four billion dollars for taxpayers. I just did the math in my head. I didn't use my iPhone. I did it in my head. It's sixty one thousand five hundred per person. Wow. Well, I'm going to have to shake up your numbers a little bit per what uh, the governor said earlier today. Now, 
at least 71,000 migrants in New York State. Now, not all of them are under the care of New York City. The best number I have has been at least 40,000. And, you know, it's gone to that point in recent months. And certainly the mayor has been very outspoken in recent months saying that the costs were only going to grow with time and if until the federal government from President Biden to congressional Republicans, Senate Democrats, you know, solve this, you know, almost uh, generational issue at the border. You know, we, we all know that, you know, for probably 20, 20, 30 years, people have been talking about, you know, the current system doesn't work. You know, on the one hand, the U.S. needs labor. We don't uh, produce, uh, you know, nearly as much farm products without the help of undocumented immigrants. But with the asylum seekers, you know, we got a bit bit of a different situation. You know, with the expiration of Title 42 last week, you know, they have a right if if, of course, they make that a point the Biden administration created to to reach you, you know, ports of entry and request asylum. Now, until the feds change, you know, the law, that's kind of where we're stuck. Now, the governor today, you know, said that she's, you know, quote, on an hourly basis, checking places to put these folks. And I was just in Sullivan County yesterday, and they really are trying to seemingly trying to stick them wherever they can, because, you know, the hotel I saw was a they uh, declared a state uh, of emergency Sullivan County a few hours ago. Oh, see, the, the wheels just keep moving. And I think the bottom line right now is if unless the feds step in and change some of these immigration rules, there's going to be a long wait until a lot of these migrants either, you know, it, you know, get their work authorization, get their asylum status or don't and have to leave the country. Now, the, the governor expressed some optimism, as she has in the past, that a lot of upstate counties would be happy to host the migrants once they get the work authorization. But, you know, the ongoing efforts by New York City Mayor Eric Adams have to ship migrants to counties to the north have certainly ruffled feathers. And it really just looks like this situation isn't going to get any better unless Biden. Zach Williams, wait till you see our New York Post ad on Sunday. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers. It's the Cats Roundtable. Tom's true on Sunday in New York. With us today is Controller Tom DiNapoli. Mr. Comptroller, this was amazing news. You put out a tweet, and we have gotten so many calls on WABC about this, basically saying that year to year, state tax collections are down 39.9%. Is that true? That's a big deal. Yeah, we put out a tweet, and also we put out our, our budget report, as we always do, and we did an update on those April numbers. And that that 39% is, is lower than what had been projected. And I, I think we all knew 
that with all the economic trends and the federal uh, relief money being spent down, uh, there was going to be an impact. But certainly, it's a more severe drop in revenue than had been anticipated. Keep in mind, after the state budget is completed, there's an update to the financial plan. We haven't seen that yet. But based on the most recent projections, to be down 39%. And again, it's, it's the first month. It's one month. Will it be a trend? Too soon to tell, but certainly it's it's not good news to start off the new fiscal year uh, with with those kind of numbers. Uh, uh, Mr. Dinopoli, I mean, I I am concerned, and uh, I guess you put out the tweet because it should go on record that uh, you're concerned. Yep. And uh, I'll tell you what I notice. Uh, the restaurants are very, very busy. Uh, the, the streets are very, very busy. Uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. But yeah, yeah. Fridays and Mondays yeah. and, and the weekends, you could throw bowling balls up and down uh, uh, 3rd Avenue, 5th Avenue, 2nd Avenue, Park Avenue. And those people are not here to, buy, to take Ubers, take taxi cabs, uh, uh, go to restaurants, and that's all sales tax. Well, I, 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 absolutely. And I think part of what we're seeing also is although inflation is moderating, it's still very high and people are concerned about that. interest rates. You know, obviously, that's still a big issue and a big concern. Looking at the sales tax collections, which had been consistently higher, they still are. But we're seeing the increase starting to slow, not just in New York City, but across the state. I think it speaks to the fact that people are very concerned, rightfully so, about where this whole economy is headed. They still hear, you know, a lot of projections about a recession. When will it be? How deep will it be? There's just a lot of uncertainty out there. Obviously, you know, the real estate market has had significant challenges, too. A lot of taxes are generated when there's real estate activity. So when there's not real estate activity, that has an impact. So we're, you know, we're in for a time as we've tried to flash that bright yellow light, you know, for a number of months now. Uh, caution uh, is very important. And certainly now that we're seeing the numbers go not in the direction we'd like them to be in, it's very important we monitor carefully these revenues because, you know, the, the state budget has a lot of important spending commitments. We have to have the money to pay for it. The same is true with the city's budget. Uh, a lot of issues there, obviously, a lot of discussion about the costs related to the uh, the migrant issue, unanticipated costs that hadn't been budgeted for. The state came up with some more money for the city, but there's a you know big question about what the federal partnership will be there. So both for New York City and for New York State, it's very concerning when we start to see a slowdown in the revenues below what had been projected. And um, Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, you brought up the migrant issue. I was seeing a headline the other day, $8 million a day just for New York City alone. Do you have any sense of sort of an estimate so far of what it's costing and, and also the impact just in general of crime? People fleeing New York, they're worried about crime. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there there are certainly a lot of issues. I mean, I have no reason to doubt uh, that number that you said, but the issue then becomes what has the city been able to budget for in this regard and what kind of support will be coming for the state? You know, the state budget has about a billion dollars over the next uh, two fiscal years of the city, but it's very clear from what everybody's saying that more help is going to be needed from the federal government. There was a request to FEMA, I think, for about 300 and 
$50 million, and I think thus far uh, the Adams administration learned it's only going to be receiving about, at least for now, $30 million of that request. So uh, there, there are going to be some big big budget gaps there and, and has to be addressed. This could impact on spending for all the other programs that, uh, that, that people care about. So, you know, uh, the cost could reach uh, as high as, you know, well over $2 billion at the rate that we're going, and it's very clear the city's going to need more support uh, to pay for that. You know, I want to well, follow up. You brought up uh, the $2 billion price tag. Is that for, um, is that an annual amount on the migrants issue, or where do you see the $2 billion? Well, I, I mean, we're, that could reach by fiscal year 2024. Um, so that, that's that's a big number. And then when you go in, into you know the the they're projecting then after that those that amount to moderate perhaps to around a billion dollars but at this point as i understand in the city's financial plan there's nothing budgeted after that so you know a big question mark whether or not this is going to be a long-term problem the city's going to have to deal with or whether we're talking about you know a, a two-year you know cycle to have to deal with this obviously there's a lot on the federal level that needs to be straightened out with this whole issue uh not only in terms of funding for localities that are dealing with it but just the whole question about how this this is being handled and 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 as we all know there's been terrible gridlock in this whole on this whole issue for years but obviously many communities are feeling it's at a crisis point let's hope it prompts greater action and greater support from washington well thank you uh controller dinapoli for coming on uh i hope there's some common sense in albany and i hope they realize what the heck is going on well, you know, what we want to just remind people, we, we call it straight. We, the, the numbers are what the numbers are. And, and that's why people need to not assume that, uh, you know, the, the piggy bank is unlimited because it's not. We benefited from billions coming from Washington. That is being spent down. The economy has a lot of struggles. It's impacting tax revenue in, in a negative way right now. So we have to be looking very carefully, managing the money carefully, both for New York City and for New York State. Thank you, Tom DiNapoli. Let's pray for New York, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks, Rita. With us today is uh, former Congressman Peter King. And uh, there's so many things happening in our country. Uh, Congressman, where would you like to begin today? John, you're right. There is so much going on. I'd like to at least talk briefly about the uh, Durham report. I think somehow it got buried, and some people thought that it didn't have that much new information in it. I thought it was very important, though, because it really tied together. It's a firm document now about the uh, terrible abuses that were carried out by agencies of our government uh, with the collaboration of the media and top members of the Democratic Party against President Trump. This whole talk of Russian collusion was, to me, one of the worst scandals in American history that you could be accusing, in effect, the president of being a traitor, of dealing with you know, the enemy, being a, a tool, a pawn of the enemy. And there's absolutely no evidence for it at all. I know some people think that Durham should have been able to get more as far as indictments and everything. That probably would have been better. But the reality is, I think it is important to have in one compact document such a well-written, orderly analysis of all the abuses that were carried out against President Trump, against his administration, against people who are supporters and friends of his, based on nothing. You know, I've been in politics for a long time. And, you know, there's uh, often exaggerations and charges being made. But to charge the president of the United States of being in collusion with an enemy, with Russia, uh, it's, uh, and with no evidence at all, what that did to harm his administration, to slow down the administration, 
to weaken it in the eyes of the world, to me, it's not just unforgivable. It's just an absolute disgrace. And, uh, you know, we know that the, F- the top levels of the FBI were involved. Top levels of the CIA were involved. Uh, top elements of the media were involved. I mean, you had the New York Times getting a pull of surprise for its reporting on, uh, you know, this whole Russia collusion. And collusion turns out to be a hoax. So I think the Times should give back their uh, pure surprise. I mean, it's, uh, it was such a uh, terrible uh, abuse, uh, abdication of responsibility. Uh, I mean, I was on the Intelligence Committee, so I sat through so many of those hearings and heard the you know, witnesses being questioned and interviewed. And I kept looking and kept listening. I never, ever did I see any evidence of collusion at all, not even a hint of it. I mean, I would say that to people. I couldn't tell them what I heard and didn't hear. But when I just said that there's no collusion, people looked at me like I was just sort of coming up for Donald Trump. But there was none. And I just can't imagine if either side did that, Republican, Democrat, independent, conservative, progressive, anyone, to me, it should be condemned. So uh, I'm glad there's your reporters out there. I would urge all of your listeners, John, to read it, to study it, and to see just how bad that was, how evil it was, and how much it went against our democratic system. Congressman, how are you feeling? You were under the weather for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I had, uh, you know, be honest about it, I, I, I had cancer surgery. It was totally unexpected. Uh, it was a uh, they found a tumor in my stomach wall, but thank God they found it actually by accident. They were looking for something else that turned out not to be there, but they found the tumor instead. Uh, but it's gone. It's, it was removed 100 percent. The uh, biopsies, everything, blood tests, everything have come back perfect. Uh, doctors have given me a clean bill of health. I'm 100 percent cancer free. And I really want to thank you and everyone at WABC for all the support you've given me, all the patience you've shown in me coming back. It was great to be back in the studio this week. It really was. Sitting there with you and Rita and the judge it was just uh, terrific. And Ed, Ed Cox the other day, uh, it was just a, a great, again, great opportunity being there. It's even a greater opportunity when you come back. You realize how, how terrific it is. I, I will tell you, Congressman, that so many things happening in New York. you think we're going to make a better effort to, to keep our people safe in our city? No, we really have to. And I think a real a bad sign was the uh, the arrest, which was ordered by the district attorney of uh, Daniel Penny, that good Samaritan on, on the subway. That sends such a bad signal. I just wish they, that Keyshawn Sewell could really be allowed to do it, what she really could do to make the city safe and let the police do their job uh, to stop the people like AOC and Al Sharpton uh, calling people murderers when they're being good Samaritans uh, and to uh, that whole effort. We see now how dangerous it was, how damaging it was to defund the police. Uh, but it's to stand behind the police. we gotta got to be serious. We can't just talk about it, and we can't tell the cops to get the job done, and then when they start to get it done, to criticize them. But we have to stand with them, stay with them, realize decisions aren't always easy. You have to make tough decisions. But that's what's, what has to be done, I think, to turn the city around and get it back under control. Uh, if we don't have law and order, you know, we don't have a city. We really don't. People are not going to be coming in. Businesses are going to close, and it's just uh, so we, we can't allow uh, the city to you know to come undone. It's really as simple as that. The big problem right now, the mayor the other day said that 50% of our hotels are full with migrants. So where do the, where do the uh, people go? Where, where, where the heck do we uh, put the uh, visitors? And we need we need the visitors. We need the tourists to uh, you know to get to keep the city strong to make it strong again. Actually, and uh, in knowing that half the rooms 
are occupied by undocumented immigrants who we don't know who they are. We don't know what their background is. If you're a tourist and you want to stay in a four-star hotel or luxury hotel, you really want to pay that kind of money out, realizing half the people in that hotel are undocumented and you don't know who they are. Listen, 90% of them may be great people. 95% may be great people. The fact is there's also a chance, as we've seen, with the terrorists uh, locked up coming across the border, uh, you know, the drug pushers coming across the border, the fentanyl uh, abusers and sellers coming across the border. No, we have to uh, uh, we have to get under control because if we don't. It's going to scare tourists away. And also to be turning the Roosevelt Hotel into a uh, basically a, uh, a, a home a, uh, uh, for undocumented immigrants. It's eight, over 800 rooms. Right next to right next to a three and a half billion dollar J.P. Morgan building. Exactly. And also right near Grand Central, a whole area there. It's going to it's going to scare people off and rightly so. So there's so many ramifications of this. It sounds great. It sounds humanitarian. You know, let everybody in. Be nice to everybody. The fact is, life doesn't work that way. We are the most immigrant welcoming country in the world. I don't think any country is more legal immigrants coming in every year than the United States. We've also had to accommodate a number of illegal immigrants. It has to stop. It can't go on any longer. John, it's, it's turning the city in the wrong direction. It's creating a sense of chaos. And, again, when you have uh, schools, you know, they're talking about using auditoriums and uh, uh, gyms, rather, you know, to, for the immigrants to stay in. Uh, then they change the policy. Then they go back to the policy. They change it again. If you're a parent who's trying to raise kids in a tough time when there's drugs and everything else out there anyway, and to realize that it could be, Again, bunches of illegal immigrants who you don't know who they are in the school. They could be that or a building across the street from the school or a building on the way to school. Uh, we, we just have to stop this. We have to restore a sense of civility and also a sense of order and orderly process. Otherwise, we're going to be really just damaging ourselves. It's already damaged, keeping the damage going. We've got to turn this around. John, it's really time for good people to stand up and, as you say, show common sense. Uh, Congressman Peter King, thank you for everything you've done in the past, continue to do, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. Thank you. He's a self-made billionaire. He ran for mayor, and now he's on the radio. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. With us today is Larry Kudlow on the economy. What's going on with the, uh, uh, with the nego- negotiation? Well, they met for they met for 10 minutes this morning. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Okay. Oh, minutes. 10 Democrats, minutes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've got my moles who are involved in this thing. And uh, the Democrats continue to pull away from the spending cuts, from the caps. The permitting bill, John, is nonsense. The Democrats want better permitting for renewables only, not for fossil fuels. Okay. Oh, my God. That. You can't do that. That's, you know, that's a key part. I mean, uh, uh, fossil fuels are such an important part of Americans' economic life and prices of gasoline and electricity and so forth. Um, they're, they're trying to walk away from the work requirements. They don't want to touch Medicaid, which they must touch. It's, nine, it's 19 years old to 55 with no kids. Able-bodied people should work, and they should seek work, and they should do community work, or they should get a job. And the Democrats are walking away. They're walking away from the spending caps. They don't want 10 years. They want one or two years. I mean, Kevin McCarthy put together a terrific bill. 
It was a common sense bill. It was well received by everybody in the opinion world. The voters, you look at the polls, 80 percent want spending cuts to go along with a debt ceiling increase. The Democrats are walking away from the caps. McCarthy had five trillion dollar package. OK, four point eight trillion dollar package. This would stop the frenzied spending that caused inflation. And by the way, spending restraint will help the Federal Reserve. It would stop the Fed from raising interest rates. OK, that's another point. And so Garrett Graves, who's negotiating for McCarthy and the Republicans, had to walk away from it. They've tried to chip away at everything. in the. And by the by, there's only one bill. There's only one plan to raise the debt ceiling. And that's the McCarthy Republican plan. There's nothing in the Senate. There's nothing from the White House. So they're right. They should hold their ground. You know, I say save America, pass the McCarthy bill. And um, we'll see what happens over the weekend. Biden should get back to uh, Washington, D.C. and get involved again. But right now, uh, all bets are off. The meeting today was a farce. And there's no more meetings scheduled at the present time. There's no more meetings scheduled. Larry, what about the 14th Amendment? Everybody's like talking about this. And also the Dow took a hit today, too, obviously. Yeah, not too much. A little over 100 points. The 14th Amendment is nonsense. Absolutely unconstitutional. Absolutely unconstitutional. Explain, by the way, to our listeners what that is, too, Larry. Well, the, the 14th Amendment goes back 250 years or something or whatever, 200 years. But it basically says that uh, the the debt of the American government is sacred and inviolate and can never be defaulted. And we will not default on any debt, by the way. The Treasury gets revenues in every single day. They'll be able to cover the debt. They'll be able to cover Social Security and Medicare and so forth. But, you know, this is an important moment for the economy. You have a chance to restrain spending to restrain inflation, to allow the Fed to stop raising interest rates. Look, I got one for you. The index of leading indicators published by the conference board is a tremendous forecasting tool. In April, it fell again. It has declined 13 straight months, 13 straight months. It's down now over 8% year on year. It is predicting a deep recession, and the Democrats don't want to do anything about it. So this is, you know, disappointing. But Kevin McCarthy is a strong guy. His negotiator, Garrett Graves from Louisiana, is a strong guy. They have a good bill. They need to stick to their guns, and the Democrats have to get serious. And by the way, one last point, Rita. You were there last night. John Katsimatidis gave a fabulous riff. You heard his riff? I asked him yes. to do it. By the way, you did. It was your request, and it was a great riff. <laughs> and on top of that, now I didn't give a great riff, but that allowed Lindsey Graham to eat his dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that's called? That's called a gentleman. That's what that's called, Larry. <laughs> there's, nobody, there's nobody better than John Katz. Next, we have Elizabeth Holmes, who really got beat up in the subway, and she prayed, she wished she had a Marine there to help her. On our website... We have WABCRadio.com, the ability to donate to her because she is going through hard times. You know, I thank you so much. And, you know, how it really started was just a normal day, how I would get up. And, you know, people don't even know, like, that night, I didn't even want to go to work. I had just did a double shift. 
And I got home about 11 o'clock to get back up to go back to work for six o'clock. You know, I barely got like three hours sleep that night, but I was willing to go because I have to find a way to provide for my family. So I got up like my normally routine and I got on the train. But when I got on the train at, you know, where I live, there was a guy already on the platform, Y.E. Foster, and, you know, he was doing the same thing. He was just talking. He was ranting. He was basically saying he don't really care what's going on and, you know, somebody's going to get hurt. And at the same time, as I'm listening to him, you know, I'm not trying to make it seem like I'm paying attention to him or I'm showing him any kind of thing that I'm, you know, encouraging what he's saying. And then I was also thinking, you know, maybe I should go to the next cart. But I was saying that car is not that full like the car that I'm in. You know, that's why I was I stayed in there because I was saying if anything happened, there's people around that can help you. You know, why would I go and come out the car and he comes behind me and then I'll be by myself? You know, or I'll just be with just two other persons where I'm in a car with about six, seven people with me. So I felt a little safe even though he was talking these things because I felt like if anything happened, there would be someone there to help. As I got off the, the train at Howard Beach... You know, I, I was trying to hurt the city because I realized right before the door closed, he came out behind me. So as I'm trying to gain pace because I see a gentleman in front of me, so I'm trying to keep behind him in case anything happened, he would, you know, kind of help or try to help do something about it. I was just already had that in my mind because I saw when he went in his bag to grab something, but by I reached up the stairs, he hit me in the head with a bottle and I realized there was no Port Authority agent that was there that normally stands there. There was no PAPD. There was like not, nobody was there. There wasn't even the, um, the person who works who, with the ticketing. Nobody did not come outside. I sustained about a 12 to 13 minute beating. Wow. There was nobody there. Was yes. 13 minute beating. Yes. The video that they show was just one footage. There was eight footage of the beating. There was the footage of when he first hit me in the head with the bottle. When you saw me ran and the guy run because the guy ran because I screamed. Wow. And, you know, I remember, sadly, the part I saw, he was kicking you in the head, beating you. You lost vision in one of your eyes. Correct. Yes, I- Yes, I can't see in my right eye. My whole nerve system is damaged in my right eye. That's why I lost the vision. So it also caused dysfunction in my other nerve system around my body. So it's like it's a lot of physical things that happen to me that people don't really understand. And, you know, when you try to speak out, they think that you're looking for this kind of publicity. No, I'm trying to build awareness because I don't want anybody to feel what I felt. My life honestly changed that day that I received that beat and everything for me finished. I can't even attend properly at my job it it hurts me every day that I wake up and I look at myself and I remember what happened because how can I not it's something that happened right on my face it was like he was just trying to tarnish like he was just making sure that everything I look at myself I remember that beating well I, I wanted you to know um, I saw you on TV the other day you were still absolutely beautiful and we're so lucky to have you here what what are your thoughts Elizabeth when you saw what happened uh, recently and Daniel Penny, the Marine who stood up, who tried to help everybody, of course, on the train and took Jordan Neely down. Your thoughts. You see, my thought is, is like, like, that's what I was saying. When I was in the cart with those people, I was looking forward for somebody to help. That's why I felt a little safe. And if somebody felt the same kind of way that I felt I'm, I'm, and they have better tactic of, you know, doing something, then, I mean, I, I honestly don't see nothing wrong. I don't believe in nobody taking nobody's life, but things always go the wrong way. You know, just like the guy when he beat me up. I'm pretty sure he didn't think I was going to lose my eyesight or anything like that. 
you know, but I did. He probably thought he, he probably hurting me more, but like, we all need somebody to help. And if people is out there trying to help, why are we not appreciating that? I, I agree. Up. I agree 100%. This is John Katzmatidis, and and uh, it, it just seems that uh, the district attorney is going after the wrong person. Right. There's a major more crisis that's happening just besides this. What about the mental? So we're going to keep mental people out there to be with people who's hardworking just like me to make a way for our family where we have to be scared now to be on the trains with these people. Now we have to be scared to defend ourselves as well. Like, I, d- I don't understand what this society is really coming to, because, like, even when you speak up, it's like a hatred towards you now because you're trying to speak the right things on what's really going on out there. How can we want justice? It can't just be justice for one person. It got to be justice for everybody. We all need the justice. I need justice. Other people that never speak up need justice. That's scared to talk because they're scared of the outcome of what's going to happen. The status the of, what, what's the status of that case right now, Elizabeth? Like, honestly, the status with the case is that they recently just found out that he killed his ex-girlfriend a month before he attacked me. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And secondly, they're claiming that he's not stand for trial. He's still unfit for trial. Because uh, they're claiming what? Mental illness? Right. Wow. Oh, my God. Well, please keep us informed of what's going on and and uh, whatever help you need. Please uh, call us at WABC. We want to help. Please, thank you so much. I do have a GoFundMe out there if anybody do want to help. In Tell any us about it. It's GoFundMe. Yeah, uh, Elizabeth Gomes, and, and I mean, if I Elizabeth really Gomes, G O M E S. Yes. Well, thank you, and I will go to it personally, and I'll, I'll make a contribution. Thank you so much, guys, and I thank really you. appreciate it. And just know, I just really want the best for everybody out there, and I do wish justice for all the people that need it, and you know who truly wants the real justice. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for listening to the Metropolitan Edition of the Cats Roundtable. After the news, stay tuned for the National Edition and Senator Lindsey Graham and get some real news about what's going on in the world.